This is episode 83 of The New Disruptors, Conjunction Junction with Oni Hartstein and James Harknell. Permanent archives at newdisrupt.org. This episode of The New Disruptors is brought to you in part this week by Swiftly.com, a new service of 99designs.com. Get small design jobs done fast. For just $19, they match your small design job with a professional graphic designer and have it completed in less than an hour. In fact, the average turnaround time is under 35 minutes. Go to Swiftly.com slash new to let them know we sent you and give them a try for your small jobs like logo changes, social media creative, holiday customizations, business card updates, vectorization, and much more. Swiftly.com slash new. Welcome to The New Disruptors, a podcast that tries to help you find your tribe. I'm Glenn Fleischman, the editor and publisher of The Magazine. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by Cards Against Humanity, which is underwriting our indie ads. Cards Against Humanity, which can be found at cardsagainsthumanity.com, just launched a site where you can buy directly from them, including their Bigger Blacker box and their 2012 and 2013 holiday packs, the profits from which are donated to charity. Our indie advertisers this week are B, that's B-E-E, an issue tracker and timesheet app for the Mac, and Nearly Impossible, an event for people who make and sell physical products. You'll hear more about them later in the episode. Thanks also to our direct patrons, Andy McMillan, Reddy Chi, and George O'Toole for supporting us through Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If you visit patreon.com slash new disruptors, you can back this podcast for as little as $1 a month and help us continue to produce it. At higher patronage levels, we'll thank you on the air and also send you mugs and t-shirts. This week, I talked to Oni and Harknell, the founders of Intervention, that's Internet Plus Convention. They started the conference after constantly fielding questions from creators who were looking for advice. The event is now in its fifth year. The convention is aimed at people trying to make their own opportunities to express creativity, often with a commercial angle and as part of a career, while keeping it affordable, accessible, and inclusive. So thanks for coming on the podcast, Oni and Harknell. Great to be here. Um, I, I'm very interested in the event that you're doing because it is sort of ridiculously well aligned with why I started this podcast. And so many of the people I talk to on this podcast, they have stories to share that really match up with, I think, the motivations for your event. So, so Internet plus convention equals intervention, the premier showcase of online creativity. You're in Washington, D.C., or sorry, the event's actually in Maryland, but you're in the D.C. area. And uh, I would love to know what the genesis of this thing, what brought you to actually, I mean, running a conference, as you well know, I used to be in the conference business on the outside. I helped plan the editorial side, but I saw the ugly parts of making everything work. It's a big pain to make a conference. You have to be really motivated. You're going into your fifth year this August. What led you to say, okay, we need need to make an event to make something happen? So I think um, when I was doing my webcomic for about 10 years, I would actually tour and Harknell would work the booth with me. And, you know, we're, we're a team effort in almost everything that we do. So a lot of people would come up to me and they would say, oh, I could never do this. This is insane. You're so, you're not lazy. There's no way I could do this. And, you know, for me, it's like I worked my way up, you know, paid my way through college. I didn't have anything given to me. So 
I was like, you really can do this because I'm not really anything special. So I would encourage people. And there was a group of people that would go around with me to conventions. And we had some times where, you know, I would meet young girls who, you know, came from like abusive situations and they would, they would just tell me, you're the first person to listen to me. I'm going to go to college because of what you said. And these, it reminded me of going to conventions, like geek conventions when I was little. That's what inspired me to kind of get to where I was. So I'm looking at people that reminded me a little bit of me and I'm like, I have to do something about it. I mean, would you say that's fair? Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing that we uh, became known for is uh, when we would go to a lot of the Northeast uh, convention uh, circuit, we would be asked to be on panels, presentations, workshops, things of that nature. And some of the biggest questions we would get from the audience, which was mostly comprised of teenagers, college kids, and uh, you know, people, uh, very primarily artists, and they would be, you know, asking very what seems like very simple questions. But when you realize that a lot of people don't know where to get the information, it's difficult. You know, things like, well, how do you set up a website? Um, how do you get anybody to know you've posted anything online? Um, and even the basics like, well, you know, I was thinking about setting up uh, a podcast. What software should I use to record things? I mean, we started seeing a lot of commonalities about people needing basic information. Now, of course, we all know Google exists, but there's, it, was, it was not just a Google thing. It was like, I really, the people were really interested in talking to somebody. They wanted to get that experience of somebody else who knew what they were doing and being able to get that first step. Like they felt like they couldn't get the first step. Um, and then we started sitting there and like, you know, we've been to like 10 different events and the same kind of questions came up when we started talking to each other. And we're like, you know, this really seems like there's an opportunity and a need for having a place at least once a year where artists of every type can go meet other people who've already started and get that basic information. And we're in some cases advanced information to get them really embracing and being able to go out there and do what we now have, which is, you know, there's no time in history where an independent artist had as much capabilities to get their work out in front of people uh, in the way we have now with the internet and with technology. And, you know, seeing all of this come together about, you know, five years ago, uh, we were, you know, inspired to basically create something that we didn't see that existed. You know, there's different conferences out there for practically everything on the on the planet, but a lot of them are very expensive. They're very limited in the number of people that can go. And we decided that we were going to do something that was oriented to a the indie indie artist and b somebody who doesn't have a million dollar budget for what they need to do. They're like, you know, this is something that's a side business in some cases, or they're just young and they don't have a lot of the same resources. But the, the amazing part is how much you can do even with that level uh, in modern times. Well, this is fascinating because there's so many conferences going on now that seem to be focused on on different kinds of creativity and the, the comics events you're talking about. I feel like there have never been as many of uh, uh, conferences, conventions, shows uh, for 
comics creators and their fans, which is a, I realize is a different and overlapping audience. So the conventions you used to go to, the ones you talk about where you're on panels, those would be for, I mean, the artists would go and writers and so forth. And, and I was just at Emerald City Comic Con uh, a few months ago here in Seattle, which is, which is very cool. I never gone before and it's become huge. And every Comic Con has become huge and every regional comic event has become huge. But those are forums typically, right, for artists and writers and other people involved in the creation to meet their fans to sell merchandise and then to do, I understand a lot of them, you have these panels and you discuss things, you might discuss issues about gender roles or, or whatever, but you also have this section you're talking about that is uh, people who are in the industry or want to get in the industry trying to understand or being feeling like they can't get in, but that's just like a nook of those conferences as opposed to um, what you're doing with this event and, and, and beyond comics as well too. Exactly. Yeah, we split off from – well, not split off in a bad way. We love those events. We still go. But um, we kind of got the idea you know, in that space um, on the East Coast. Yeah, I mean – Okay. Go oh, well, I mean, there's right because there's XOXO, which is expensive for the whole uh, event, and they have a you know they just uh, closed registration for the their uh, their event in September, and I I don't know how many they're taking this year. It was 500 last year, and it's 500 bucks, which is not cheap for uh, the creative community. It's cheap for the tech world, uh, very inexpensive. I mean, TED is eight thousand seven eight thousand dollars now for TED, um, yeah. the main event. You know, so 500 bucks in the tech, and it's not a technology conference. XOXO exactly. There's um, nearly impossible, which started. Uh, Last year, there's the what Brooklyn, uh, there's the Brooklyn uh, event. There's a bunch of stuff like that, but a lot of them because I want to say they have a, they came out of a tech world focus, or they may be focused entirely on products or specific kinds of things. They don't meet all the needs. And we were talking before the podcast, there aren't a lot of these on the East Coast. The East Coast events tend to be. Um, either smaller or very focused or, um, you know, more about this kind of uh, uh, artist or creator meeting fans as opposed to for the creator. A lot of the events we talk about are on the West Coast. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we went to like, you know, some of the anime cons, sci-fi cons, comic cons, and we were a guest speaker, oftentimes the creative type of panels, like, you know, how to use Photoshop or how to uh, market your work, they would be put on at like 2 a.m. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not I joking. Remember, there was one that we went to that they, they invited us out as guest speakers. And our first panel, it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and actually Monday event. I think our first panel was at three in the morning on Saturday. Oh then God. we had one at two in the morning on Sunday and they gave us one at like four o'clock on Monday, which most of the people had gone home because it was a now, labor day or something. Now this is, but, but even with those parameters, we were still seeing people hungry to get the information. Yeah, like sure. at like two in the morning, there were, you know, we were in a small panel room for this because of course, you know, as you were pointing out, most of these events are really fandom, you know, events like they're there to meet the creators and get like an autograph and buy their book or something. Yeah. But, but even and, and the key is mainstream, like working for a big label creator, not yeah, necessarily yeah. indie. Yeah. And, and even at these kind of cons, you know, in the middle of the night, we were in a small panel room cause they didn't expect a lot of people necessarily, but in a small panel room, we would have 15 to 20 people who made the effort at 2 a.m. <laughs> To go and find out how to market your work. This really proved to us there are people who are really hungry for this and they really want to do it in the afternoon when they're not quite 
falling asleep. And that was part of the genesis yeah. of us looking at doing this event. But, you know, there's this, there's this idea in the past that conferences, like they were shrinking. And I think in the wake of the tech industry collapse, it sucked a lot of money in the tooth. I'm sucking way back in 2001. I was working with a conference business that essentially it didn't go under, but they, you know, they shrunk dramatically. And I feel like there was this wave that rushed out of there. So you had like the San Diego Comic Con continued strong and has grown to an enormous size, but it felt like there was a dubiousness about events of all kinds, but I feel like the last few years have completely refuted that. You started in 2010, so I don't want to say there was a dubiousness then, but it seems like even at that point, I mean, you look at like the Penny Arcade of PAX, it's just for game. I mean, it was an event. Um, I like the fact that PAX, regardless of what one thinks now about Penny Arcade or the people involved, which there's many different feelings we talk about in some episodes of the yeah. show. But regardless of that, PAX is an incredible force that started from zero, but it tapped into something that was unfulfilled, a place for gamers to go to be gamers, not to be marketed at as you know, and it wasn't an industry show. And I feel like the thing you did here in 2010 is it seems like a long, a long time ago. It, I don't know how much of a risk it was for you to do it, but obviously um, uh, there was a, a crying demand for it, as you saw. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we don't want to talk about the risks. Um, this is not a an event with a, uh, you know, a company backing other than ourselves. I mean, we have our own small company, of course, we're a small business, but we're not, you know, there's no venture money in this. There's no, you know, gigantic uh, companies behind this, much like, you know, other big trade shows or other types of uh, conferences have. It was the two of us and we based it out of the fact that we had already built up, you know, a fandom of our own who saw us as being straightforward, earnest and uh, honest. And when we basically said, hey, we want to do this because we feel that there's a need. What do you guys think? We saw a really great influx of, of support. And we're the ultimate financial backers for this. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, it was a risk of a sort. I mean, we could have done... You know, we could have done this and it could have, you know, had nobody show up. Uh, our first year, we, in fact, had a little bit over 500 people, which um, was a bit more than, um, you know, almost anybody thought we would get at the time. They thought, oh, you might get 250, 300. But when we ended up getting, you know, a little bit over 500, we knew that we were on to something and people were like, wow, OK, well, this is this definitely has, you know, a need um, up through the you know, the subsequent years, we've grown at least 100 something people a year. Last year, we were a little bit under 1000. We were, you know, about 920 people. Um, so it's growing. It's not growing. You know, we're not going to be San Diego Comic Con. But an event like ours, which has a large amount of education, probably we wouldn't want it to do that. You know, you can't have 10,000 people easily learning you know, we want to settle into a nice number where people feel that they still have the ability to talk to people, network with people, learn from people, and that the size, you know, it's like uh, going to public school. If your school classroom is 10,000 people, <laughs> you can't ask the teacher a question, I mean, ever, you know, you're never going to be heard. So, you know, we've grown, it's not huge, but it's, it's still a nice size to be able to get that kind of interaction across enough people that you'll find somebody who can probably give you the info you need. 
But you talked about pricing too. Is um, you know this year's event? It was forty dollars purchased early, and right now, until the day of the event, for, I'm, I'm promoting you because I want to tell people it's still time to go to this thing if you're on the East Coast. Because uh, this, this is we're taping a little bit before uh, before it airs. Um, but uh, it's forty five bucks or fifty dollars mm-hmm. at the door, and that's I mean that's incredibly inexpensive for most kinds of events, and especially for one that's focused on people taking their creativity and figuring out what to do with it, those events are usually fairly expensive, even if they're, even if people try to do them uh, inexpensively. And so, uh, you know, I guess I'm curious in part, it seems like you've oriented yourself not as a public service per se, but as something that uh, exists to facilitate and help people. How much has that helped you get the goodwill of the folks participating in it? You need to travel or, or, you know, we're going to be on panels. We're going to help uh, volunteers and organizers and so forth. Has that helped like the low price coupled with your attitude to get that involvement? I think it definitely does. Um, we wanted first and foremost for it to be accessible to as many kinds of economic backgrounds as possible. We actually have, if you look on the left bar, there's a donate button. So we have uh, kind of like what we call the enabler program as a joke. <laughs> and it's similar to Kickstarter where, where people can buy their registration and then they can add on money if they really believe in the concept. So we wanted, you know, anybody, almost anybody can go. And if you really, really believe you know, in the concept, give us, you know, a little more and we'll give you cool stuff like a t-shirt and, you know, or a plush animal in return. And I think that's done wonders to get, you know, goodwill because a large number of our attendees actually pay more than the registration price. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. That's something that's come up more lately too, is that, I mean, especially again, like anything with a tech focus, which I know your event has, there's a lot of technological angle of it, especially relying and using the internet. But, um, there's been this issue about like, look, if you can make things more accessible or you can do more, which you're doing because more money is coming in than the strict fee, then you get to expand that and everyone benefits. And the people who give the money have the benefit of being a patron and expanding it. The people who can't give the extra money get the benefit of the, you know, the, the reward of, of other people who are generous and wanted to make it happen. Exactly. And some of the ones that can't pay up actually do things like bring us cookies or presents <laughs> or, or, you know, I mean, we've gotten all kinds of different presents like homemade, homemade cookies and, and you know, books. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things that we are very happy about is the um, the, the response that people have given to the event. Uh, people who come year in, year out, like there are there are you know, a core group that have literally gone every year and see it as a point of pride uh, that they were there from the beginning and that they were, uh, you know, part of this early community. If you actually go to the main website and you look at the top of the page, there's a short uh, about one minute video uh, from Nicole Deeker, who actually uh, we were we didn't really exactly discover her, but we were one of the first uh, venues for her. No, we, we were the first. She's actually written an article okay. about how yeah. we were the first. Well, we were one of the first <laughs> to to have her come in. And, and, and at the time, she was doing uh, much more music as opposed to what she mostly does now, which is blogging. But, um, you know, she, she talks in that video about the vibe of coming to the event um, meeting other people and then reconvert, you know, reconvening a year later at the event and basically saying, hey, what did you guys do this year? What did you do? And seeing that um, that uh, that sort of vibe of, of creativity that kind of comes together 
breaks apart for a while. People do their stuff and then they come back together and they basically say, well, you know what I did this year? I did this and it worked this way and all yeah. that. So it, it's, it's really, it's got that core thing of people using it to increase their, their feelings of creativity, going off, trying new things, and then coming back a year later and then reconvening and basically saying, this worked for me, this didn't work for me. So it's, it's, a, really, it's a really nice harmonic effect where you know every year is always something new that they bring back to the event. Do you find a lot of people are really local? I mean, the cost of this means that people can come every year, which is amazing. And if they're local, if they don't have to find housing, I mean, I realize you've got affordable uh, uh, comfort. I mean, the hotel room space is actually very inexpensive as well. Um, but are people coming from, you know, within driving distance? They are, but we actually have people coming from California, Finland, oh, wow. uh, Germany. Um, they found Nicole, their community with you, right? Yeah. yeah. Nicole, yeah. Nicole herself is in Seattle now, so um, she's flying in this year uh, again. Yeah, historically, we've had people from Japan. We've had people from Finland. We've had people, of course, across the United States, um, people from the UK, Arizona. Germany. Yeah. yeah. Um, and some of that was based on our original fandom. You know, some of these people, um, you know, have been fans of the work we've been doing for years. And when they had this opportunity to come in and, and see us, but also contribute to the uh, the event itself, they took that opportunity. And then some of them are just I mean, we can't. You know, they just basically found this thing and they were like, wow, this sounds like something that interests them. So they they came in and it's it's a phenomenal, uh, you know, uh, feeling to know that there are people who are are seeing the event and and finding value in it uh, in the way that we always hoped when we started it. Let's take a break so I can tell you about this week's Indie Advertisers. The Nearly Impossible Conference is an event for people who make and sell physical products. The conference focuses on how product makers can better tell their story and how they can build a successful business. This year, there are two outings for this event in San Francisco on September 20th and in New York City on October 30th. There'll be different speakers at each event. You can learn more about what you'll learn at the event and what it will help make possible for you by visiting nearlyimpossible.org. That's one word, nearlyimpossible.org. B, like a bumblebee, is an issue tracker and timesheet app for the Mac. It syncs with any Jira, Fogbugs, or GitHub instance, and it includes a built-in markdown editor for local notes. It has smart functionality that auto-pauses your current task when your Mac is idle for a configured period and just before it goes to sleep. B is ideal both for the individual freelancer who wants to track his or her time and for people within large software teams who are fed up with slow Jira and Fogbugs instances. It's got fast live search and notification among other features that make issue tracking and timesheet management not a burden, but a little bit fun, lets you get on with the work you love. You can find more information and a demonstration video at neat.io slash B. That's N-E-A-T dot I-O slash B-E-E. And now... Back to the podcast. And it's, I mean, five years in, I've heard this about a lot of events. It's like once you meet your group, if they're all planning to go back, and again, the conference cost is so low, people can go back year after year where other events, like, well, where do I come up with $1,000 to do this? If it's, well, I just need to get a plane ticket, maybe I could use miles. And and I even want to call out, like, you know, at this point, out of the room, you still have rooms left, $89 a night for a hotel room. You know, that's uh, extraordinary for most events. A lot of stuff can be held in a city where it's 200 even with the discount is 200 
250 a night. Um, uh, I, I, I like to get a little bit into some of the nitty gritty because, uh, you know, this is clearly, this is the first conference of this scale you guys have done. You went to a lot of events. You knew that, you know, how these things were put together from a, from the participating side, it sounds like. But 2010, and if I, am I right? This is the 50 year of the same hotel, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've developed a relationship. 2010, um, for the benefit of people thinking about this, because this starts to seem like something not, not everyone's not going to start a conference, but I think the, th- or a convention, but I think the thinking, um, plays into how we approach projects that seem undoable. It's kind of your meta story is that you're doing something that people, maybe they didn't advise you against it, but they're like, it's a really big undertaking. Uh, but you sorted it out. I mean, so how did you even like say, find the hotel, you know, you're not in DC proper, but you're very close to DC. Uh, What was the process you went through to plan to, to, to start this thing for the 2010 outing? So um, one thing that we did before doing this, and anybody who wants to start their own event, I would advise staff other similar events, volunteer for other similar events first. We've actually volunteered for other events for at least five years before this. And the best way to see how somebody is going to work is to watch them at some other event and just see how they react under pressure. So (laughs) I I had actually you know, been kind of like taking notes on different people. Like I want this one and I want this one and I want this one. And, uh, we just so happened that we were thinking of doing this for like three years. I'm like, we gotta do this. We gotta do this. And there's some other events, I guess they had some staff turnover, some people, you know, resigned. And I'm just like, Hey, want to join us? So the first person we grabbed was the best hotel liaison in the world, our hotel liaison Colette. And we knew the first thing again when you don't know when you don't when you start an event, figure out what you don't know. And we don't we didn't know hotels at the time in yeah. 2010. She did. So we we got the person with the skill set that we didn't have, and we filled in from there based on the people that we knew over the last five years. Wasn't easy, but, you know, because we did have some turnover, um, you know, but, you know, in general, it's been a really good building process that, you know, just being involved with the community in the first place before you do something like this is my advice. Well, I'm wondering about budget even is clearly, you know, you guys had sorted out because you approached this as, and I want to come to the inclusivity part too. I had uh, Matt Kahn, who's behind uh, GamerX on uh, earlier this year, and their event is like any day now as I as we record this. Um, and uh, so let's get back to inclusivity. But But one of the points of inclusivity was price and to get to the right price. Including hotel costs or travel costs and your event costs, you had to have a budget. And now you're not Brockville is not a um, it's not exactly a suburban hotel, but you know you're not right in the main thrust of things where all the political events happen. It's a little ways away, but not unreachable, not hard to get to. Is that how did you work with did Colette help you figure out like here's how we narrow down the time of year, the place to be, the distance from you know Dulles Airport? Did all those things come into play as you budgeted to reach your the price you wanted to be able to offer things for? Absolutely. Um, when we we did uh, quite a number of hotel tours, and having worked and gone to a lot of the events in the uh, Washington, Maryland, Virginia area, we were also familiar with many of the uh, hotels that were or event spaces that normally uh, were used for events. Uh, so we had a, a, a decent familiarity. And what we did was we looked around and we said, "What's what can we do to make this?" Come in at the price range we want and also be uh, the best experience for the people coming. We actually picked this particular hotel because, number one, 
It is very close to uh, airports. Number two, it's directly, literally directly in front of the Red Line uh, uh, train station that's available in uh, the Washington, D.C. area, which goes it goes everywhere. Yeah. It literally goes to the airport. It goes all downtown, uptown, all over the place. Oh, so people don't need – they could fly international. They could fly into Dulles. They can get on this. They don't need a car even on you know, the extra expense or people don't drive necessarily. If they live in some cities, they may not have a car or driver's license. All exactly. That. Exactly. Like if you were coming from you – know, you, practically anywhere, you can get here fairly easy. For instance, if you're in New York City, you can jump on the Amtrak – Take that down to the Washington Station, transfer at the Washington Station to the red line and go straight (laughs) and literally walk out of the red line and walk right into our hotel. The other thing is there's tons of parking right around this, uh, right around here for free overnight for the entire weekend. So we picked that. There's a bus that literally stops pretty much right in front of our hotel. I mean, and, and the local airport also has a connector that goes straight to the red line station set up as well. And it's only about 20, 25 minutes from us by car anyway or so. Um, so yes, all of this came together. The particular hotel, the Hilton itself that we used had a phenomenal setup for this kind of event. It had a really great array of panel rooms. It has a little mini theater, uh, like a movie theater. It has uh, a decent ballroom setup. It has for everything of this type of event, it was the great founding location for this this thing. And it all just pretty much came together well. The big key was when we decided to do this, um, we initially were like, okay, let's do something that works for the community. Let's make sure that it's sustainable. Of course, you don't want to start do one year and then, oh, God, we go belly up because it personally, you know, uh, depletes all of our resources. Right. But but one of the biggest key things we thought early on was we're not going to be extracting money out of this event uh, as as the primary reason to do it. You know, a lot of other events, they'll come together and the money side is the determining factor. Like, you know, well, if I can't get like, you know, 100 percent return on my investment plus blah, 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 blah per year, I'm not even going to do it. We primarily believed in the idea behind it first, and then we said, you know what, if we ever make any significant money off of this, that would be a bonus on it. It it really was much more of a strong calling for doing something back for the community. Uh, Oni mentioned at one point, uh, I believe, as part of when we were actually talking, not in, in previous, but we both come out of relatively lower tier uh, financial backgrounds when we were younger. And part of what allowed us to get to where we are now were certain resources that were luckily available to us. Oni had some um, community-based art things when she was younger that really contributed to her ability to move forward. Um, My local things were things like libraries and various resources. And in this current time frame where arts and libraries and all kinds of stuff are really being cut back because quote they don't have a return on investment um you know and this idea that you know public uh artworks or goods or things like that don't really have a place in capitalism or whatever we wanted to do something where we felt the the return that we had benefited from we contributed back 
to the world. You know, we would give something back that we felt that we had gotten uh, when we needed it. And um, so, again, you know, when we looked around what we could do, this really seemed like we had expertise in a lot of it. We had a network of people that we had looked around and said, you know, these people could be major players in making this work. And then fortuitousness came together, a few different lucky things at the same time. We found the hotel, we found the right financing, and away it went. And it's, you know, it's been a really great ride for these, you know, four years, and we hope to be doing this for the next 40 years. Well, you know, I realized we we broke went right into the structural stuff, which I think is really interesting how it brings you into making this happen and the motivation behind it. But um, we should talk about the programming too. I really, I really oh, yeah. it's, it's like I'm thinking. Uh, I mean, because I think this you know this podcast in part is for both sides. One is the people who are trying to get enabled to understand how they can do something on their own when they want to take a leap, or just understanding that the resources are out there. And what you did is, I mean, it's you know five years in. Five years is a long time, and you've been able to sustain and do all the founding things and grow the show as what sounds like, you know, mostly word of mouth as people find it. And um, uh, because obviously with the, with people can do the math, you can look at how much money uh, the passes cost and what it does. People know kind of what you're taking in. You're doing this on a very modest budget and achieving a lot. And I feel like there's a, there's a virtuous circle there clearly in the kind of support people give, but also they understand this is not the road to riches for you guys. This is a project you do. You have other things you do in your lives. This is a, a passion thing that provides some of what you do. And, and I like to encourage people trying to go it on their own to realize that you can have, and as I do in my career, you can have many different things that you focus on at different point, different times of the year, different points in your life. But this transitions us neatly into the, okay, so the, the point of your conference is to help people figure out that path. And so you come from a comics background, but you've expanded this out um, into a lot of different tracks. So what, what are the kind of main thrusts of what people come to the, uh, to the event to learn about? What are the sort of general areas? So we, we have in general, we have kind of like a gaming con uh, scenario. So you can play retro arcade cabinets. You can play any video game, including a Commodore 64 on a, a flat panel. Um, because the idea is I want to get the every man in there. I want to get families in there. We have a children's program where they can learn things as well. And that all ties together. That's the fun aspect that kind of gets people in. Um, but the panels itself are, for example, how to make comics, how to blog, how to set up your website. Um, we have a podcasting track. We have an art track. We have a, uh, you know, of course, I mentioned the children's program. And now I'm blanking because we do so much. We have performances. We'll have like, for example, we had Super Mario Brothers belly dance. Like awesome. we had a belly dance troupe. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to do Super Mario Brothers. And I'm like, this is the best. We're going to have this. Um, so we have that. Um, I mentioned the gaming. But, um, you know, we had some guy bring in a DeLorean and just, so just talking about the, the types of programming that we do, yeah, you'll sum it, it up ranges, it it ranges from, uh, well, I can talk about it even more directly because I, uh, the way we split up the duties between the both of us, she tends to be on the marketing side, the branding side, the, the web development in terms of the look and feel and staffing and all that. And my I focus do, is art and marketing. So that's yeah. what I teach at the event. So I do most of the actual programming development and it ranges from the art and craft side, meaning like how to do stuff. So we will do things like um, Photoshop 101, how to use Manga Studio to do a manga book. We've had things like, what do you need to know when you want to publish a book 
meaning more, you know, the nuts and bolts. Do I have to get the, you know, the ISBN number? Do I have to get the, you know, how do I deal with a contract with the publisher? We have lawyers who have come to the event who have talked about copyright and how to make sure that you don't get um, screwed on a contract. What does it mean to sell your rights uh, for only certain things, but not all of them? So we have the the functional parts like uh, we'll also have things like how to write three dimensional characters as opposed to, you know, one dimensional characters. Uh, We'll have things like how to create a background for a universe. Uh, Say, you know, we have people who, uh, you know, write book series and they'll come in and they'll say, well, you know, when I was designing uh, my book series, I had to sit there and think, well, what's over that mountain? And what's the motivation of the people? You know, things that people who are starting off writing oftentimes may not really think about. Uh, so we have the nuts and bolts stuff. Uh, podcasting, we have, you know, what it, we have uh, every year we have at least one or two podcast um, panels, workshops that talk about, well, what microphones should I use? What software should I use? Um, what's a good distribution platform? Should I just have it on my website? Should I use a third-party service to stream it? I'm going to have know, to send some people to your event this year, clearly, because this is a, that's, you could, you could yeah. break out a podcast conference probably out of what you're doing based on the number of people launching podcasts and with those questions. But, oh, certainly. But does that part of, see, you, know, the, you have all these um, different aspects of things, but it sounds like, if I'm hearing this right, it's that you've got often one person or a team of people maybe working together who they're trying to do all of these different things. So it's not they're a cartoon. I mean, some people are cartoonists. They come, they want to learn about inking and um, distribution, let's say. But if I hear the kind of people you have who come here, they might be cartoonists who also do a podcast or want to launch a podcast or want to publish a book, but they also are interested in scripting video games. I mean, is that, is your typical attendee or is there a typical attendee and are they, are they focused or, um, not going to say all over the board, but having to engage in all these different activities or wanting to engage in them. I mean, I guess that says, is it focused or all these people, are these people attending all these different things because it's useful to them? Well, the interesting thing that we found is many people will show up thinking that they want to just, you know, learn one thing. But when they get involved, they start to quickly realize that the idea of being a single purpose artist is really not a... It's not the best strategy with the modern style on how uh, independent art is is working nowadays. Mm-hmm. We like to refer to it almost as like the octopus program, <laughs> in, in that <laughs> you have great. to have you have to have arms <laughs> in a lot of different things. Like um, just going back a step, when you were talking about um, Pax and the Penny Arcade guys, if you look at them, they're a classic example. They started out a very long time ago in doing web comics. They, they did it for very many years, quite frankly, and didn't make much money. They were very upfront about it, that they, they were doing this comic out of the joy of doing it. They had a really pretty big fan base, but they weren't quite sure about how to make any money off of it. Along came uh, Robert Koo, who stepped in at a very critical point and said, you know what? I'll take over your business stuff and we'll spread out and do what we need to make money. And he basically octopus them out into a number of different things, one of them being Penny Arcade Expo. And that's a clear example of if you have an artistic career, you do have to think about, well, okay, I'm a very good artist. People find out that I do art. 
that's great. And if I just want people to see my work, that's fine. There's, there's no negative on that. On the other hand, what else do I have to offer? Can I do a podcast? Can I talk about the, the artwork? And then now suddenly people are listening to me for another reason. Maybe it might be a good idea if I blogged about it, like the process, like whenever I shade things, I do this. And now you suddenly have three different vectors that different people or even the same people, and you start building your coalition. You're One basically, man ad agency, basically. Yeah, you basically... <laughs> And then, you know, there's other opportunities. Say all three of those are going really well and suddenly people go, you know, this guy's got or this woman's got a lot of good ideas. Maybe I should have them come and speak to my school, my company or whatever. Now you end up being an authority and suddenly your opportunities to speak at Google, your opportunities to speak at a local library, your opportunities to speak at a college or a high school. You start seeing like this octopus effect um, grow and Basically, modern artists really need to understand what is available because a lot of times they don't, you know, you start off like I want to draw comics and, you know, that's that you can do that. But you, you know, with the way modern things work with indie, you really have to understand what you're not doing. Even if you yourself don't feel that you could do it, you do need to know what's available. So in, in many cases, maybe you can find somebody, you can find your own Robert Koo to to help you with those, but you need to understand what's available. And that's really what we try to do with the event, show the range of stuff that you can do. And we find that, in fact, one of our funniest feedback things, we, we do two major panels at the event. One is at the beginning called We Are the Intervention. And it's <laughs> literally me and Oni, we sit at a table and we go, hey, we're the guys who created this. We're the visionaries behind this. This is usually done on a Friday or very early on a Saturday. And we're like, you know what? We want you to be able to hit us with anything. Ask us what, what's going on, mm. what we think and all that. And then importantly, at the end, we have a panel called, so how did we do? And the idea is we're up there with our main staff and we literally want people to tell us what we did right and importantly, what we didn't do right. And the funniest feedback we end, we end up got, getting at one point with just everybody in the room laughed um, was one person was like, I have a real problem with how you were doing things. And we're like, oh, my God, what's this guy going to do? <laughs> and he goes – and he, and he goes, the problem was I didn't know when I could break away to get something to eat. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, we're like, we're like, huh? and he goes, because you kept doing so, I mean, your panel lineup was from 10 a.m. to 6 or 7 p.m. I didn't want to go someplace because it was always a panel happening that was important and I knew I could get something out of it. And he was like, next year, I want you to make a big break where nothing's happening in the middle. We're like, sorry for being awesome. That's yeah. brilliant. No, I understand. Having gone to so many conferences, you do for, you forget to eat. But, right, you're trying to squeeze as much in as, as you can and people people will, will forget to eat. And then the, you know, this is what's wonderful about a community, especially as it gets bigger, is you're going to have all these people. I'm sure it sounds like already you have groups that form. This may be the one time a year they see each other in person is there. I know from my extensive years in technology that there are specific events or places I go to because uh, I used to go to Macworld every year. I went for, for many years because not just was it an event I needed for my industry, but that's where my, you know, my peeps were. I had to go there if I wanted to see people. Some might be coming from Brazil or Germany, others just from the East Coast, and I wasn't getting to the East Coast that, that year, so we all meet in San Francisco. Um, but there, there, that's, there is that you don't want to force people into social activities, but I understand that, like, 
if there's a break for a meal, people have to find a place to eat together. And then there's a different kind of social interaction and, um, and information exchange. I, I want to ask you about uh, a couple other things, uh, some, actually a bunch of other things, but let me make sure I get, I get to some of these things here too is inclusivity. Now, this is a huge thing. I think I don't want to say 2014 is the year of it. I think the last several years have been the year of it, but it's coming to the fore as more and more of an issue for people who organize conferences and conventions, codes of conduct, um, appropriate response, not just having them, but enforcement, uh, making sure that people, no matter what their uh, gender identification is or uh, uh, age, like all these different factors, the family issues that um, if you're trying to run an event that ostensibly is inclusive, that inclusive has to have something behind it. Now, I know from looking at your site that you started this event 2010, I want to say with some foresight, clearly from your background, uh, your backgrounds both sounds like growing up and from going to conventions, you started this with a real policy of inclusivity. Uh, am, am I right? Is that what led you? Did you did you see failings or strengths that made you say, we have to do this from the start? Well, we, I think by default, just how we are, like if somebody is, you know, is, is, is gay or trans or anything like that, it's, it's not a thing with us. Like our friends are made up of all different types of people and we don't even really think about it. They're just another awesome person to us. So at first, you know, we were like, we need to have a, a harassment policy and we need to define this. And I knew we had to do it because like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a good event organizer, but at the same rate, I'm like, but it's not an issue at our event, but we probably should write it just for, you know, down the road when we get people that aren't here with our same worldview. Um, because our staff is as multi everything as you could imagine. So um, we definitely did put that in there. And especially because a lot of this started from my experience and my vision and, and Harknell's as well. And we both have a background in gender studies. Um, so, you know, it's 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 just. I guess it just came naturally. We're, we're kind of chill about it. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, it was, it was kind of, uh, interesting because we've had a comprehensive, uh, anti-harassment policy practically from the beginning. And we no, were definitely from the beginning. Yeah. And I, yeah. And, um, we, it was interesting in about 2012, 2013, when uh, many other, uh, conventions started getting hit with um, with issues where A, they didn't have a harassment policy and B, they were having incidents that their staff didn't know how to deal with right. or deal, dealt with very poorly. And again, uh, going with Oni was saying, from the beginning, we've had a notion that anybody who works for our event literally has to get what the vision of what we feel is this event, which is anybody can come to this event and benefit from it. We don't want anybody to feel like they wouldn't be accepted. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what your background is. As long as you are willing to do the same for other people of our community, then we are a big community. Yeah, that's why we say all people and all genders. And mm -hmm. people actually commented, wow, you said all genders. So you're talking about more than two. I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> right. We're talking about literally everyone is, is welcome here. Including all types of fandom. I mean, over the course of our five years, we've had people from pretty much every type of um, you know, subgenre, subcommunity of artwork or of online communities come to the event and be 
equal in terms of presenting and being accepted. You know, there's, there's all kinds of... Do you remember that year when we had somebody who approached us before the event about being transgender and, and, and they were like, oh, you know, kind of like maybe it would be an issue. And they were just like so happy with how it just wasn't an issue. (laughs) It wasn't an issue at all. And they came back later saying, I've never felt more happy to be at an event like this. Yeah. And, you know, it's just part of our design. I mean, you know, we, we have an internal thing that we like to talk about. Now, uh, we, we are fans of uh, going down to, you know, uh, Walt Disney World uh, to blow off steam uh, just to, you know, go someplace and have fun. And while Walt Disney and, and Disney World have, you know, a reputation that is variable depending on, on which <laughs> element you want to talk about – the one element that never really gets uh, a negative is the fact that they always treat the people that go to their locations as the most important factor. You know, when you go there, they don't yell at you. They don't they don't you know push you around or whatever. The idea is to treat each person as if they are the most important person at the event. And we, you know, grab that notion. And, you know, one of the first things we tell um, people who work at our event um, is if somebody is not doing something correctly, it's not an opportunity to yell at them and tell them, you know, hey, what are you doing over here? Get the heck out of here. It's how can I help you? What are you looking to do? Where are you in the right place? Maybe I can get you to where you need to be. It's a, it's a very big change from how many other events do it, where quite frankly, they end up having situations where there's a whole lot of yelling, people telling people, you can't do that, get out of here, you know. And we early on were like, no, not only are we going to be accepting, of course, for the range of people that exist, but we're not going to treat people like cattle cars or anything like that. So we have we have always tried to make that very clear. And very, very luckily, or very, very much by design, I would hope, um, the number of incidents that have happened at our event is And they usually end up being things where we're actually helping people who have other issues uh, and not not in regard to the event itself. Uh, You know, in one particular instance, somebody uh, was at our at the bar at our hotel, but was, you know, overcome with, I guess, too much drinking. So we assisted them to be whatever, but it wasn't even anything directly with our event. So so it's. You know, we've been very happy to see that people who come to our event get the vibe and are in it and they, they feel very protective of the community. So I think there's like that almost self, self-awareness self and self-regulation. We're also ever-present. I almost I, – I actually am legendary for almost passing out from not sleeping for three days because <laughs> one of us, I insist, has to be on the floor because if, if for some reason something happens and, you know – it, it, it almost always gets triaged fine, but maybe if somebody who's new on staff is kind of confused, I want to make sure that all of our attendees, and I put this in the con book, go to ops and radio for Oni or Harknell if anything is not going you know, to what you think it should be going to. Um, and we'll come down and we'll, we'll triage and fix it at that juncture. But um, 
But yeah, and the harassment policy is also very egalitarian. Like we're all about equality. And I, I, I actually am going to send a communication to my staff out this week or next about this. Because like if, if there's an incident they think they should be reporting, I want to make sure that they, they're not afraid to report it. Because what we're doing and what I want to drive home is we're not going to roll in there with some Star Wars stormtroopers <laughs> on somebody. You know, it's, if somebody's acting a little weird or somebody looks like they might be made to be feeling uncomfortable, the idea is my security team is going to just do a drive-by. You're not even going to notice they're there. They're just going to look and assess the situation and keep an eyeball on it. Because if something happens and I don't see what happened before, it's harder to gauge the proper reaction to that. So I want to make sure that we can monitor things before they become problems and empower everyone not to feel like if they report something, it's not going to be an issue. It's totally confidential. And we have signs up that say so. Um, so I, it's worked really well for us so far. Well, I think also the more inclusive you are, the more people you'll get to come who are uncomfortable going to other events. And, and I've seen this. Um, I have had to learn more about the care of feeding of introverts. Uh, I'm an extrovert most of the time. I'm gregarious. I uh, don't get in people's faces, but I scare some people in a way that I didn't realize because Oh, I, I do it too. <laughs> yes, I can imagine based on this conversation. Yeah. So what's interesting about uh, online media, especially Twitter, which is where I spend most of my time talking to people online, is uh, I did not realize how many people I'd met on Twitter who I hadn't met in real life first were introverts because Twitter it has become, I mean, despite all the people arguing and yelling and abuse and all the stuff that happens on Twitter, um, but it's a place where introverts can dip in and out. And it, and, uh, so I'll meet people in real life. And it took me a couple of years. And the first year at XOXO, for instance, there were some people I met and I'm like, man, I thought we were buddies online. And what happened? Then I realized, no, it's me. It's not them. I've come at them with my gregariousness blazing and they cannot take it. But I'm used yep. to the online interaction. So I've seen that. And then year two at XOXO, I knew to approach people more gradually, slowly to adjust to how they needed interaction and then developed a whole different set of relationships with several people because of that. And um, I imagine, I mean, just that conversation you had about the person who's transgender, wondering if this is a place they can go and then feel, oh my gosh, you have people of all different personality types and social interaction types. I imagine they come because they find out and they hear from other people, you can go here and it's safe, but then they might get into a situation that is of no fault of anyone's where they're feeling backed into a corner or overwhelmed. And your description of how you approach that, of not going in guns blazing, but it's like, all right, you gives you an opportunity to help somebody who may have social interaction problems or you know, agoraphobia or whatever is going on. You're there to help as and, and to keep them in as opposed to saying, Oh, you, we got to take you to the hospital or God knows what. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the, you know, part of it is, um, we, we picked a very, very highly qualified staff, um, for every position. We really didn't, you know, just take whatever warm body was available. Well, our head of security is a judge. Yeah. <laughs> He's a municipal court judge. Really. Oh, yeah. awesome. So, so we went and we, um, you know, we, we picked people that we believed could handle the types of things that could pop up. And then, you know, we worked very clearly on defining how we would deal with, um, different situations. And one of the nice things that we've discovered about this event is people after, you know, the first day or so, we'll see people hanging out in the atrium uh, of our hotel, sitting around talking, um, you know, interestingly with podcasts specifically, we've seen a huge uptick in the number of people who are coming to the event and doing podcasts 
from the event, mm-hmm. uh, either doing a one hour thing, like, you know, their weekly thing, or, uh, we've even had many groups come in, set up shop and literally do almost a whole weekend long, uh, you know, jam session. And, um, the community of being able to, to come in and, and dip in and out of these kind of activities, uh, go to a meet and greet kind of event, or simply, you know, stay in the back of the rooms where you're more comfortable, maybe, and just listen to some panel presentations. Um, you know, it, 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 our event has a wide range of uh, interactions, that, and you can, of course, choose how much you feel like doing. Oni mentioned earlier, one of the other things that we wanted to do is we wanted to give people opportunities to also have downtime. You know, one of the big things about certain types of educational events is they fill to the brim with all of these things. But when you're not doing anything, you can just literally just sort of sit there and there's not much to do. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the fun things we decided was, well, why don't we just have some fun stuff? You know, there's an hour or two between panels. Uh, you've just learned X, Y and Z. Well, we have some arcade cabinets, old school arcade cabinets. I'm going to go play Donkey Kong for 30 minutes on free play. Or I'm going to jump into our board gaming room and do like a quick card game. Or I'm going to hop into our video game room and play on my on that. Wow, they have a Commodore 64? Holy crap, I've never even played with, with that kind of system. Or go into our video room and watch some really great online videos uh, from different groups that have uh, given us the rights to reshow their stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, so there's all kinds of other things that you can do during downtime and not feel like you are just sort of sitting around. Uh, and that also makes people feel more at ease. Like, you know, they can have fun and then go back and do stuff. You know, they can sit around. We have plenty of seats and tables out in the event space for people to just arbitrarily sit down and, you know, have conversations. We, you know, Oni and I walk around the event space constantly. We're always out there. We want to see what's happening. We want to um, direct people to where they need to go, but also make sure that, you know, things are working properly. And we'll walk around and we'll end up in conversations with people, you know, for 15, 20 minutes, whatever. Um, and we'll know that there's all kinds of interesting conversations that are breaking out and people cooking up and talking about, oh, you do a podcast? Oh, I do one. Or, oh my God, I didn't know you did that. Or, you know, I didn't know that was you from, you know, Tumblr. You know, so there's all kinds of interesting uh, things that can just arise, you know, emerge out of the way we have the event set up that is amazing that we didn't necessarily know all of this when we started it. But now that we've seen it, we try to foster uh, as much as possible to to make these emerging connections. Um, Again, much like what I said earlier with uh, Nicole, where she talks about people coming together and then going away and coming back Mm -hmm. that, you know, that's that's an interesting part that has that has emerged out of the event. And it's, you know, every time somebody new comes to the event, they sort of end up in the mix and, and add to it. Well, let me ask you one final question before I give everybody the dates and the website and all that. Again, is uh, you guys work very closely together. How do you resolve things you disagree on or do you never have disagreements? Usually I win, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> You're split. Now we're having a disagreement. On the oh, I'll, I'll let Oni have the final word there. Uh, so people interested in this, com- this uh, convention, uh, you can still get tickets. And uh, the website's interventioncon, with an N, dot com. 
August 22nd to 24th, and it's affordable and people should go. Um, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this event and inspiring me to, to think about events and being part of communities and all that. This is great to hear of what you're doing and thanks for being on the show. Oh, definitely. And we're very uh, thankful back. Yeah, for thanks having for having us. us. Hopefully you can come one year, maybe. I'd love to. Well, yeah, you have all my friends are coming out year after year. You've got David Peskovitz uh, this year from Boing Boing and uh, Institute for the Future. And last year I heard, uh, you know, I realized it didn't connect the connection. I knew he was in Maryland a year ago and I heard him talk glowingly about an event he was at. And I didn't connect until just a few minutes ago. This was the event he was at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, Mark. Yeah, Mark had a blast. Yeah. He, he was, was on every so panel I see, too. It was great. He is the, yeah. Mark Frauenfelder is the nicest man in the world. I'll oh, say definitely. that publicly. He's yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank you very much. And people should, uh, on the East Coast, or if they want to travel, should go check out the website. Thanks for being on. Thanks thank for having you. us. You can now support the production of this podcast directly at patreon.com slash new disruptors. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash new disruptors. Support us at a level that starts at $1 per month. At higher levels, you can get our thanks on the air, T-shirts, and more. You can also sponsor this show. Visit podlexing.com, P-O-D-L-E-X-I-N-G, for more details about how to get your product or service in front of the attractive and clever listeners of The New Disruptors. Our theme music is by Jeff Tolbert, who you'll find at jefftolbert.com. And our audio engineer is Michael Warner. Our podcast audio is hosted by SoundCloud. We're also a production of The Magazine, an electronic periodical for curious people with a technical bent. Find out more and read free articles at v-magazine.org. This podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons by NCND 3.0 license. Feel free to distribute it intact and with attribution to us by linking back to our site. We only ask you don't offer it for sale. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman. Please join us again next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.